I've been really looking forward to this service today, the whole church gathering. It's so good to look out and see a church which is as full as it can be at the moment. There's not many spare seats here, and I know there'll be loads of people watching online at home as well. It is good when the church gather together to celebrate God's presence with us. It's fair to say that since we last did this in January 2020... There's been a few changes, not just in the church, but in the world. On that, on that day, that morning, that service, when we all gathered here together, um, I, I remember Ian preaching, and it was a service full of uh, optimism, the new year, and it's going to be a big year for the church, and we had different things planned, and different ideas, and things were going to be launched, and it was going to be great. And it was for about a month. <laughs> And then suddenly we started getting these reports of this, 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 this um, illness that was spreading from China and across the world. And we suddenly realised, hang on a second, this thing's not stopping. We need to take this seriously. And then, of course, in March 2020, church shut. And so did pretty much everything. The whole world changed. It was a completely unprecedented time. No one saw it coming. I had a wry laugh to myself when I thought for years we've kind of been looking at that verse in Isaiah. See today I do a new thing. I thought, well, I didn't expect this. This is not the new thing that we had in mind. But we've been through a storm. And I've been looking forward to today because I hope, I really hope and pray, and I'm sure you do too, that today is going to be the start of of a new season, that we're not going to be um, wearing masks for much longer, that we're not going to be restricted in what we can and can't do, that, that there's not going to be a spike in numbers that's going to see more restrictions come back in, and that today is going to be a day that we look back on and say that was when things got back to normal. That was when things began to, uh, to change for the better in the life of the church. But we've been through a storm. It's been hard. There's been times where we've been unable to meet together for a long period of time. We've only been allowed to go out of our houses for a half hour walk every day. And even then, we've had to keep distance when we saw anybody. For some people who live on their own, this has been unbearable. For some people who don't live on their own, it's been unbearable as well. But... (laughs) We won't go into that. But it's been hard. It has been really hard. There'll be some people here today who are very conscious that there's an empty seat next to them. Or maybe there'll be an empty chair at the dinner table. Because they've lost loved ones. Either because of COVID or because of other causes. But they haven't been able to grieve and mark that loss in a way they would have liked to that raw emotion will still be there. There are other people who are sitting at home at the moment thinking, I would love to be in church, I wish I could be there, but I just don't feel ready. I just don't want to to be sitting there with, with loads of other people. As much as I love my church family, I'm not ready for that yet. And that's okay. That's okay. We all have to do things in our own time, in our own strength as we feel able to. But we've been through a storm. I said at the start, the last whole church gathering, Ian was preaching. And of course, I'm taking a service today. Because 
we've lost our senior minister. Ian, who's served us and led us so faithfully and so well, who's inspired us and shared God's word with us and preached to us and, and been really important in the life of the church, he's felt his time to step down from his role and focus on, on his own um, recovery and well-being. And then he'll explore what God's got planned in the next chapter for him. But as a church, we've lost a really, really good senior minister. And that leaves us in a bit of a storm. That leaves us feeling a bit battered. Charlotte is going to be leaving us at the end of the year. She's by far the best children's worker that I have ever met. And I'm not just saying that because she's somewhere in the building. It's true. She's absolutely superb. She's going to be a huge loss. All these things will be storms that we have to face. Getting a new senior pastor, getting a new uh, children's worker, someone to oversee that side of things. And it's going to, be, going to be hard times to go through. There's going to be difficulties ahead. But today we're launching a, a sermon series called Through the Storm. And we're going to look at Today we're going to take a look at Noah before we share communion together later on in the service. And then we're going to um, look next week at Jonah and then at Jesus and then at Paul and then at Elijah. And we're going to look at these characters from scripture and see the way that they dealt with different storms that they encountered. And we're going to explore why and how God sent those storms. And we're going to explore how God used those storms and used those people. And from that we're going to explore how God can use us. How God will be with us through every storm that we face. How God has been with us through the past 18 months. God is good. God provides. There was a big change in the life of the church, which almost went a bit unnoticed during during COVID. And it struck me this week, there was a a funny circumstance I suddenly found myself in. So I was talking to someone and... um, uh, they, were, they were sharing something, and I, and I said, um, I said, would you like, you know, do, do you want me or, or, or one of the partial team or someone to come and visit and pray with you? And um, they said, uh, they said, oh yeah, it'd be great if uh, if Roger. Um... And I said, more. <laughs> and they said, yeah, that's right. And as I walked away, I thought. Hang on, I can't send Roger Moore around to pray with him. (laughs) You'll all be familiar with the story of Noah. Noah's Ark and the Great Flood. It's sort of the thing that we learn in Sunday school. It's one of the the great Old Testament stories. But this morning I just wanted to take a look at, at the storm that Noah went through. Now to begin with, Noah went through a massive storm. Probably the most significant storm that he encountered before a single drop of rain fell. You see, in Genesis chapter 6, we're told how mankind had turned against God. God had created the world, we've had the creation narrative, and sin entered the world, Adam and Eve um, gave into temptation, sin entered the world. And from that point on, there was a, a growing divide between God and mankind. Now it's difficult for us to know quite what that looked like. 
We're told in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made, made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. Now, when we think about this, we don't know what that looked like because this is before the Old Testament law was given to Moses. This is a long, long time before that. At this point, God hadn't actually put any, any structure and commandments in place. So sometimes when we, when we look back at scripture and we see um, certain Old Testament laws being violated and people being punished, and we can look at the law and, and think, well, that seems a bit odd. Or I can't understand that. I'd have to research you know, the culture, and it must have been very specific to those people in that time. It seems a little bit pedantic. It seems a bit, um, a bit harsh that for breaking that one innocuous law, someone was quite severely punished. But here, there was no law. And so what was happening was simply everybody had turned against God, the whole of humanity. Now, there wouldn't have been as many people on the earth as there are today, but certainly a significant proportion of people had developed by this point. And all of them, all of them had turned against God. So much so that his heart was filled with pain. We talk a lot about the unchanging God, don't we? But that doesn't mean that God is static. God feels. God is full of joy when we turn to him, when we talk to him, when we show our, our, our appreciation, our love of him. But he can be pained as well. And everybody on the earth had their hearts full of evil all the time. So much so that God's heart was filled with pain. Now, we get a glimpse of God's heart. We get the start of an understanding of how the flood came about. When we go to Jeremiah chapter 3, in verse 19, this is God talking to Jeremiah. God says, how gladly I would treat you like sons and give you a desirable land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you have been unfaithful to me, O house of Israel. You can hear the tenderness of the heart of God. I wanted to give you this this amazing thing. I I, I wanted to create this this perfect world and for you to live there and enjoy. I wanted us to share this, 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 this tender relationship. I thought you'd call me father. But you've rejected me. You've 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 turned away from me. The heart of God is a heart of love. And that's still true today. But at the time of at the time of Noah. This is before any covenant was put in place, any promise was made. This was before any law had been set forth. And God had desperately just wanted people to, to look, at, look at God and then look at evil and think, God is good, God's got to be the way. But mankind had not done that. And so God's heart was full of pain. Everyone had turned against God, except Noah. 
Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. So from that, we can deduce that in Noah's entire life has been a storm. For some of you, you would have experienced what it's like to be the only, the only Christian in the office or the family or the social group. And you would have experienced what it's like to constantly have the wry comments and, and the, 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 the insults, sometimes blatant, sometimes subtle, and feel that persecution. Almost feel the, the shame of knowing I've gone through an entire week and I've actually shied away from any opportunity that God may have given me to talk about my faith because I just feel, I feel unable to. I feel so persecuted. I feel almost ashamed because I know I'm just going to be laying myself open to mockery and ridicule. Well, imagine that you didn't have the sanctuary of, of home, of an understanding families go back to, or to a church that you can come to on a Sunday and be prayed for and be told, look, keep in touch, you know, let's, let's meet during the week, let me help you, support you, strengthen you. Imagine if you didn't have that network. In fact, imagine if you were the only person in the world who lived as God wanted you to live, who chose to live according to God's will. How tough must that be? And Noah had experienced that through his whole life. Not just the only person in his family, or the workplace, or the market, or the town. The only person in the world, there was no one he could turn to for support, for help. And so Noah's whole life must have been a, a, a storm. It must have been unpleasant. It must have been difficult. He must have faced so much hardship and, and mockery and persecution. But God recognises Noah's faith. God recognises that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. And so if you're sitting here today with a dread in a pit of your stomach because you know you've got to go into work tomorrow and you know someone's going to say, how was your weekend? And you know that you should say, yeah, it was great. I did this and this. I went to church yesterday and then I did this. But you know you're going to leave that bit out because you know it's going to be met with scorn and ridicule. Or maybe it's going to cause offence to someone. Maybe it's going to lead to a conversation that you just don't want to have. Well, no that God knows your heart. God knows your desire. And sometimes it's right to think, I don't want to go through that storm. I'm still recovering from the last storm. I haven't repaired the damage that was done in the last storm, the last bout of criticism and mockery, the last argument where I had to defend my faith, the last time I had to apologise for offending someone. I'm still repairing the damage of that storm. It's okay not to have to throw yourself into the next one. Because God knows you are righteous, blameless among the people of your time, and you walk with God. So God then gives Noah all these instructions. He told him what building materials to get and the dimensions of the ark, and how to treat it, and, and how, to, how it's going to look, and how to build it. And um, in fact, um, in, in Kentucky, apparently, there's a, um, a, a real-sized replica that's been built of the ark, 
Um, I, I heard in Ipswich, I think there's a half-size replica that's been built, um, which is going to be used as a sort of educational place for children. Um, uh, I, I, I heard that some time ago. I've got no idea whether someone was putting my leg or whether it's actually happening. But, you know, um, no, it could be building the ark in Ipswich. Um, but we've got a really detailed description of how to build an ark right there in Genesis. And we're told in, in verse 22, Noah did everything just as, command, just as God commanded him. And then God, as we heard in a reading, tells Noah to go and to, um, to, to gather together all the, the animals and the birds and the creatures of the ground and everything else and get them all ready to come into the ark. Apparently... It's been estimated that around 45,000 creatures could have fitted onto an ark of that size. Don't ask me how they calculate that, because an elephant is somewhat larger than a mouse, but somehow they've worked out that it, could be, it was a significant number of animals that could get onto a boat of that size. And then the rain begins, and Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives go onto the ark, and they pull up the gangplank or whatever you do, and the ark floats. This wasn't an ark with a sail. It wasn't an ark with, with oars. It would have been too big to row. They didn't have an engine. This was simply a floating wooden box. And as that rain came, despite the fact that God had had spoken to Noah and that Noah knew that he was, him and his family were protected. There must have been a little bit of fear and doubt as the waters began to rise, as the ark floated, and as they saw the devastation as the flood wiped out. Maybe they heard cries for help from people who were suffering. Maybe they saw bodies floating by. We don't know, that's speculation. But it's not beyond the realms of possibility that it wasn't a particularly pleasant experience. And then, of course, as the waters got higher and higher, I wonder if Noah began to think, when will this stop? I did a little bit of research. I'm no scientist or geologist, but I've heard it asked before, there's not enough water in the world for that to happen. That can't happen. And I heard some people say, well, God's a God of miracles, so you know, he just made it happen. But actually, God is a God who reveals, reveals his, his creation, his plan to us over time. And sometimes we can, um, and this has been shown in history time and time again, where we think, um, well, that's impossible. And then suddenly God reveals something to us, which we realise, no, no, that's entirely possible. As an example, um, I did a little bit of research to, to find out how much water there is in the world, and there's quite a lot. I mean, there's a lot on the surface, obviously. You know, you've got your oceans and your, 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 your um, uh, Atlantic trenches and all the rest of it. But I found um, an article from New Scientist magazine, which came out in 2014, and I found a lot of other articles and reports that were um, uh, corroborating this. And apparently, not long ago, in the past 10 years, they discovered an, um, a mineral called ringwoodite. And this is a mineral which sits um, miles and miles and miles beneath the Earth's crust, a long, long, long way down. And it's a mineral that holds water. And it's estimated that there is so much water held in this mineral, in just below the Earth's crust, that if you extracted that water, there would be more than three times the amount of water that's currently on the surface of the Earth. 
That is a lot of water. The waters rose to a depth of 20 feet above the highest peak. I've got no idea what volume of water that would take, but I imagine it wouldn't be far off three times the amount of water that's already on the surface of the earth. God reveals himself to us through these little details that are discovered as we journey through the life that he plans for us. But anyway, the waters rose and rose and rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. The, the floodwaters... Um, the floodwaters stayed on the earth, so after the 40 days, after the rains had finished, the floodwaters stayed there for 150 days. And then we're told, chapter 8, verse 5, um, the waters began to recede. They began to go back, maybe into the Ringwoodite, who knows, but they began to go back from, from whence they had come. Been, they continued to recede until the 10th month, and on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains become visible. Hooray! There's a top of a mountain! Brilliant! But everything else was still flooded. And Noah waits and waits and waits, and the, the waters go down and down and down, until eventually he sends out, sends out a raven that flies back and forth and doesn't find um, any sign of life. And then he sends out the dove, and eventually the dove comes with a fresh olive leaf, and Noah knows that something has grown, that there is new life, that there is a new creation. And then finally, God tells Noah when to leave the ark. Noah is obedient. He doesn't go jumping out of the ark. The second he sees a bit of dry land, he waits until God says, now is the time. The earth is ready for you. Go. And then he releases animals. And after all that, Noah takes animals, builds an altar to God, sacrifices the animals to God. God smells the aroma and says, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. And that is God's grace. That is why we are here today. Because we look out into the world and it's, you, you only have to read the headlines to see there is so much bad things that go on. But actually I think the heart of most people is good. I think there's been so much good in the world in, during, during coronavirus. We've seen the best and the worst. We've seen people panic buying and stripping shelves and selfishly storing food up while others haven't got any. But then we've seen other people saying, have some of mine, take this. You need it more than me. You're, 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 you're working hard. You deserve it. We've seen acts of, of kindness. And if we focus on the evil, then we glorify the evil. If we focus on the good, then we glorify God from whom goodness comes. So Noah went through this storm. When he came out of the storm, the first thing he did was to thank God for his deliverance. In a minute, we're going to share communion together. And communion is a time when we come before God and we receive the greatest gift that he gave us. Communion is a time where we come before God and we confess our sin. Because we are all sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what Paul writes in Romans. But being here today, 
choosing Jesus as our way of life, choosing to honour God and to try and live in a way that pleases him, shows that, that we would like, we would like to be like Noah. We are doing our best to be like Noah. Noah didn't get it right all the time. It's not long after this, he plants a vineyard and overindulges in the produce. Noah got it wrong, he wasn't perfect. And nor are you, and nor am I. And we've been through a storm as a church. We've been battered and bruised. After, in the First World War, after an artillery bombardment, troops didn't come out of the trenches and go straight on the offensive. They came out and repaired the trenches first. For some of us, we're questioning, why do I go to church? It's actually been quite nice not going. That's part of the damage that's been done by the bombardment of COVID. We need to repair those trenches and remind ourselves, actually, there is, there is a value, an importance in gathering together for worship, in sharing together, in joining together to build God's kingdom. For some of us, we're even questioning faith. It's been such a, a strange time. Every time we've, we've, we've prayed for good news, it feels like there's just been more bad. Is God really there in this? I'm not sure. Well, now is the time when we need to, need to come out and look at the trenches and see, recognise the damage that's been done. What was it that made me fortify this position in the first place? What was it that, that made me so sure? We need to go back and remind ourselves of God's presence in our life, remind ourselves of, of our testimony and the testimonies of, of others, the experiences we've been through where God has brought us through the storm and we've come out the other side and we've said, Alleluia, thank you, Lord. As I say, we've got more storms ahead, make no mistake about it. But we've got a God who never leaves us and never forsakes us, who will be with us through each and every storm, who will carry us through. And so whatever we face, whatever we've been through, whatever we're feeling this morning, let's bring ourselves before God. I'm going to pray for us now and I'm going to invite the band to to come back up and then we're going to share communion together. And as we do that, let's thank God for being with us. Let's thank God that we are here now. Let's thank God that through our lowest moments he's been with us. And let's thank God for his promise that he will never again flood the world. It may have felt like coronavirus was flooding the world at some point, but God was there. Never again will we have to endure what Noah endured. Because God promises he will be with us now and forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the story of Noah. And Father, we thank you that this is so much more than a Sunday school story, than a a children's story that we can leave behind as we enter adult life. Instead, this is a story with so much depth that reveals to us so much about your love for us. Father, we thank you for the example that that Noah sets us, for the, the storm of life that he had endured before 
you spoke to him. We thank you for his faith to to do as you commanded and to build that ark. And we thank you for your trustworthiness as you brought him through. And Father God, we pray now for our church. We thank you for this whole church gathering today. We thank you, Father, for all the people at home watching online, all the people in this building. Father, we pray for your blessing on us. As we prepare to share communion together now, we pray for your blessing on us. We pray that you will, you will hear our prayers of confession. And Father, we pray you will hear our prayers of thanksgiving. And we pray that as we, as we share these elements together now, remembering the body and blood of Jesus that was broken and spilt for us, that you will meet with each and every one of us. That you will give us the, the reassurance of your presence, that you will help us to repair the damage that may have been done during the past 18 months, build us up. And Father, both personally and corporately, we pray that you will prepare us for whatever lies ahead, whatever storms we have to face. Keep us faithful, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, as you came in this morning, hopefully you would have been given a communion set. Now, I've been told not everyone's done this before, so um, I'll just prime you. For those of you at home, hopefully you've got your elements ready. If not, go grab them now. So you've got the little shot glass. You peel back the first layer, and there's a wafer in there. And we'll eat together in a minute. And then when, you, when you've had that, you peel back the second layer and there's the grape juice inside. So don't peel them both at the same time or you get a soggy wafer. No one wants that. Everything has changed in the past 18 months even the way that we share communion, but we are still sharing communion. And so it's so good to be standing in front of the whole church, to recognise what we've been through, recognise what may be to come, to recognise that God is with us through everything that we face, and to recognise that this, these elements represent the reassuring presence of God through his Holy Spirit because of what his son, Jesus, did on the cross for us. John's Gospel tells us that God so loved the world. He didn't want to flood it and wipe it out. When he saw that there was sin in the world, he didn't want to destroy mankind And so he sent Jesus, he sent his son, because he loves us so much. And so we remember that night in the upper room in Jerusalem when Jesus sat with his disciples and he took the bread as they were having a meal together and he broke it, saying, this is my body 
given for you. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so let's now do that together. Having shared the bread with his disciples, Jesus then took the wine. And as he poured it, serving each one of them, not leaving anyone out, he said to them, this is my blood poured out for you. And it's poured out for all of us. We all have our portion to claim this morning. And so let us claim it together. Father God, we thank you for the gift of communion. We thank you for what we have shared together today. And Father, as we close in worship now, we pray that you will bless us. Whatever the week holds for us personally, whatever the coming days and weeks and months hold for us as a church, Father, bind us together in your love and your grace. May we be, may we be examples that you want us to be to all the people that we meet. Father, we love you and we thank you that you are. You sent your son to be head of this church and the head of the church throughout the world. We thank you, Lord, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. And we thank you that you walk every step of our journey alongside us. So be with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>